Hey there, everybody. It's AJ, and welcome to another episode of Outdoors Podcast. Today, my guest is a really good friend of mine, a guy named Kale McLean. Uh, Kale and I worked together for an advertising agency in St. Louis here, and Kale was one of our designers and developers, a really talented guy. Uh, but beyond that, Kale is really kind of your traditional guy's guy, right? He can build a house. He can uh, knock walls down and build them right back up again. He's a really impressive guy that's got a really fun career through, you know, the the outdoor space. He's he spent a lot of time outside, has a lot of really fun insight, uh, is into hammock camping just like me. We talk about trailers, campers, uh, hammock camping, float trips, all kinds of stuff. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. I know I certainly did. Let's go ahead and get right in. All right, we're live. Um, so... You grew up, uh, t- tell me kind of the, the iteration. Tell me where, how you ended up in St. Louis. So I grew up, I was born in Southern Ontario. Okay. In Windsor, Ontario, which is across the river from Detroit, Michigan. Okay. You equate that to the east side of St. Louis with a border crossing. Gotcha. So, um, and my, my father worked in automotive. And for about two years, I think he was commuting every day. From Windsor to Detroit. Okay. And his company said, hey, we want you. He was a director of sales and marketing. So essentially, you know, one of the guys that ran the business, we want you to come over. So we went through this whole process of, we. I'm actually still a Canadian citizen. I have a green card and a Canadian passport. Okay. Now, um, are you dual citizen or I'm just not. in Canada? I'm just Canadian citizen. No joke. I can get my U.S. passport if I ever want to go take the test and do that. Uh, you've you've met the qualifications. I've met the qualifications. My gotcha. father actually did it and voted for Trump. Everybody out there knows. <laughs> now, so so what are the things that you have to do, kind of ongoing, not being a U.S. citizen? Um, don't get arrested for drug trafficking or anything serious like that. Okay. Um, do you have to like renew visas or anything? Every like that? ten years, I have to renew my green card. Gotcha. Now, this last time I did it, I did about two years ago here in St. Louis. It's literally fill out some paperwork, pay 500 bucks, go in an office, answer two questions, get your picture taken. Really? And it was approved. My mom just renewed hers, and they approved it for on a one-year basis. So I have a friend that uh, is, is a Canadian citizen. Her family lives here in the United States, and uh, she was here working for a franchise of a Canadian company that was here. Right. And uh, she was a she was allowed to work here as a management consultant. And she ended up leaving that franchise company and wanted to start going out and exploring other options. She got a company. She got a, a, a job with a company. And they said that, you know, yeah, you can come work here. And then, you know, she got the job. She ended up starting or, or getting close to. And what the I guess discussion became was that she was allowed to teach people how to manage others but she wasn't allowed to manage others she was allowed to be a management consultant she wasn't allowed to be a manager if that makes any sense um so when they found out kind of what the the stipulations were around her contract she ended up losing the job i believe uh, because you know they they weren't set up to basically just allow her to tell other people how to manage other people and that was all based off the fact that she wasn't a u.s citizen she was a man so her green card was essentially for management consulting i guess in today's maybe your grandfathered in maybe you've been around for long enough oh maybe maybe she had a visa yeah that's what it is she has a visa i'm essentially a permanent resident i have all the same rights as a u.s citizen except for i can't leave the country for more than a year at a time i cannot get a i cannot buy a pistol or have a concealed weapon interesting yeah i know interesting so and I can't vote. Which in Dallas, I mean, that's kind of like hey. par for the course there. I will say this: driving. I'm a very, I am a very um, for for those that are listening. Here's a, a stance on a topic. I'm going to go ahead and take a stand here. Uh, I'm a fairly pro gun guy. I recognize that there's a lot of guns out there. I also recognize that there's some bad people that are going to get guns. Uh, that sucks, and I, I certainly don't want bad people to have guns. But I also understand the reality of the world of how easy it is to get one when you want yeah one. if you really want one you're gonna get it yeah exactly so uh i will say this i have owned firearms i've carried firearms i've had the legal right to carry a firearms in in different environments but when i've been traveling and you enter into an open carry state 
it is a weird feeling when you pull up to a gas station and a dude gets out of the car next to you and he just has a hand cannon hanging out on his side and he just walks in, grabs a Coke, walks out, drives on down the road. It's an eerie feeling when you're not used to it. I won't lie. Yeah, if you just feel like, I don't want to say less of a man, but you're just not in charge in that situation. So don't even try. It's just, it is, you know, when you're not used to it and then all of a sudden it's just there. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I've carried a firearm on multiple occasions. Uh, It's a weird feeling when it's just out in the open. Uh, that's a that's a whole different world. So so you grew up in Ontario, right? So when I was young, we uh, we moved to Detroit, and that's essentially where I lived for twenty years. Okay, and then made my way down here to St. Louis uh, via a relationship, and I went to back to school full time, and I've lived here for ten years until I recently moved to Dallas. Okay, which is for personal reasons. Um, I'm now a father, two month old son. Congratulations. It's so awesome. Yep. Baby Bennett. Baby Bennett. Nice. Yep. And my uh, wife is down there doing uh, her residency at Baylor. So that's why we're down there. We're that's both, awesome. We're both from Michigan. That's awesome. Area, so, yeah. And is, is the goal to stay in Dallas long term or is are you thinking about something different? Open to ideas? Yeah, we're open. You know, I mean, you never know. You can plan all you want, but. Clearly, life will throw stuff at you, and that's okay. Uh, we both, I think, want to get back to Michigan. You know, families for both of us are up there and that. And I was kind of in that transition back up there when we met a couple of years ago. So we'll see. But, you know, we've got three, almost four more years down there and then yeah. go from there. So, yeah. What is it about Michigan that you like? Michigan is for all the outdoors people listening, which should be just about everybody. <laughs> it's kind of the idea. It's kind of the uh, ideal outdoor state. It's, you know, it's not all, you know, like up there was Wisconsin and Minnesota and New York and that. It's all year round. It's, um, you know, it's the lake and the boat in the summer. It's hunting and uh, snowmobiling in the winter and, you know, skiing and all that stuff. So, now, is it snowmobiling or is it snow machining where you're at? I always grew up a snowmobile. Okay. That, um, okay yeah uh are you familiar with the dude on um instagram the just send it dude on the oh, snow machine yeah no. i can't can't I've remember it's it, like larry nicely it, yeah. or something like that yeah. i gotta remember what his, his tag is he's hilarious I'll check that out um so what was your tell me kind of uh, your your upbringing did you have a, a background in the outdoors did you do a lot of camping or or that kind of stuff yeah so actually um we have a family co- in Canada. We call them cottages, cottages. Cabin. So we have a family cottage, and then I think w- another group calls them camps. Right, exactly. Yeah, that more the hunting crowd and that. cottage like, cabins, yeah. camps. Right, exactly. Gotcha. So we have a family cottage. Uh, my dad's side of the family. Uh, some point in the fifties or the sixties, they built it, and it's in the Algonquin National Forest in uh, northern Ontario. Okay. So it's about seven eight hours from Detroit. About four hours north of Toronto, a couple hours south of Ottawa. It's on Shawinigog Lake. If anybody <laughs> wants to look it up, Shawinigog. Shawinigog Lake, and it's basically like old logging roads, and you know, drive 20, 30 minutes down this That's gravel cool. road, and then you're bam, and you yeah. have this cottage on the lake. So we would spend like a couple weeks there every summer, and go there for Canadian Thanksgiving every October for a long oh, weekend. So we we grew up doing that until. You know, our late teen years, we were too busy with sports, and now I've been there like twice in the last 20 years. Yeah. It was, I dated a girl in, um, oh gosh, probably my late 20s, and her family had a cabin out in Innsbruck, Missouri, and, you know, a little A-frame kind of yeah. thing, and everybody, there's kind of a sleeping loft with a bunch of beds, and it's it's very kind of, um, uh, there's no privacy, and it's just everybody's kind of hanging out together, and it was very analog it was a lot of board games and everybody kind of had breakfast together in the morning and it was it was a very uh kind of throwback weekend when we went out there and hung out I was like oh yeah this is kind of what families used to do is like you'd go get out of the city spend some time at the lake cruise around you know play board games whatever it was a cool thing so it's funny you say that I was up there I went there a few years probably like three years ago now and it's like different, but the same. Yeah. Like some of our old toy, like these, we have old metal Tonka trucks that's still there. Oh, and they don't build cool. them like that anymore, yeah. but like it's still there. Yeah. I've got like somewhere, I've got like a Spider Man 4 comic book that's totally beat the shreds. It'd be worth like 20 grand now, For probably, sure. or something For sure, lying around that place. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, um, 
you know, we had pontoon boats, a paddle boat, a fishing boat, a canoe, and we would fish and go out and swim and all that stuff. But now you go up there and there's this, there's this one whole corner of the lake that was, so one side of the lake is all what they call crown land, which is government land up sure. there. And there's this one corner that it wasn't that, but there was no road there. Okay. So for a long time it was undeveloped and now it's developed and they don't have cottages. They got like full on log homes sure. with like driving boat launches jet skis they're all solar powered super like, nice yeah it's it's different feel it's the yeah. new modern you yeah know, people, for sure yeah toronto money coming more up more of a lake tahoe away. kind of exactly. a feel yeah which is you know, you're sitting here in our cabin we're like wow that's pretty cool man. <laughs> yeah so you know we're on well water and all this other stuff which they are too but i'm just saying it's like i will know. say though that i've i've done both i mean i've had uh friends relationships people that have had you know big giant mansions on lakes and then i've also you know with with high-speed boats and right. all the toys and jet skis. And then I've also done the very kind of rustic uh, thing. Um, there's a guy that I really, really want to track down. His name's Luke. Uh, he was a, I don't want to say a fraternity brother because I actually never got activated as a, I I a SIGAP uh, from Truman because I didn't make grades. It was not SIGAP's fault. It was mine. Uh, but we had this dude named Luke, and Luke... One summer I was staying up there for football. I was like training and trying to get in shape and all that kind of stuff. And I was hanging out. I don't think I really had a job. I think I may have like cut grass a little bit or something like that. But I was mainly just kind of hanging out. And uh, I was over at the fraternity house one day and Luke rolls in and was like, hey, man, uh, I got some friends going to this lake in Iowa. These dudes got a houseboat and a ski boat and jet skis and stuff. It's going to be dope. Let's go. And I was like, yeah, man, let's do that. And it was during a period of time where my mom had literally taken my car from me for getting a tattoo. Oh, I've been there for uh, some time. So worry. I didn't have a car, and Luke didn't have a car at the yeah. time. So we legitimately walked out to the driveway of the house. Took an Uber, right? And we just stole one of our fraternity brothers, right. or one of the guys that was in the fraternity's car. Do. We just took his car that had the keys in it and went to Iowa from northern Missouri for like three days. Didn't tell him, didn't do anything. He called, where's my car? Uh, yeah, sorry, dude, we're in Iowa. Uh, so we went to this lake, and it was the cheapest houseboat. The The houseboat was the size of the ottoman that we have our feet on. Perfect. It was tiny. Yeah. Um, the ski boat was so small and underpowered that if you were trying to ski behind it, the guys in the back of the boat had to bail water because when it took off, it would take on water because the back of the boat would sink down in. It was terrible. The, the jet ski was maybe the first jet ski ever made. Oh, yeah. And everything was just beat to hell. It was one of the most fun weekends that I've ever had in my life. It was, I, it was the first time I saw multiple naked girls at the same time and wasn't having, like, relations with any of no, them. No, you like, just, just realized. Like, girls running around naked. It was just like... Holy cow, this is right. a simple, fun, easy thing to do. Just a little bit of beer, some good people, and a little bit of, of recklessness. And it was just a great weekend. And that story gets talked about a hundred times more than all the ones about the The Mega Mansion. The Mega Mansion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It was one it was legitimately to shout out to Luke Bowler out there. Uh one of the most Call fun him. weekends that I had in all of my college experience. And had he just not been like, dude, let's steal a car right. from one of our friends and go up there. And uh, you'd never have a never stolen car story. Yeah, then. exactly. For sure. Because you've never sure. done that before ever. Yeah, that, that was, um, you know, for, for a dude that didn't get activated in the fraternity, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and it, well, you know, it wasn't necessarily the fraternity itself. It was just we had really good dudes. Right. And I just, we, I was surrounded by a lot of really good guys that were just kind of lucky enough to be in a position to have a lot of fun. So, so you, you had this camp, uh, or had this cottage growing up. So kayaks and paddle boats and things like that. What other kinds of stuff have you involved yourself in or, or participated in? So that was kind of my, my, my big bringing into the outdoors and just getting, I mean, we grew up in a time we were just talking earlier and we grew up in a time when, you know, we, we dabbled in computers and games and stuff like that, but we were outside playing backyard baseball and street hockey and yeah, all that PCs stuff. Yeah, PCs weren't you know, really was, a thing until yeah, we were was, probably about 12. Right. It was a lot, di- and they weren't mobile like they are now, so yeah. we were on the elder millennial, pre-millennial Oh, yeah, era, yeah. We're, sure. we're 
we're Gen X, Gen Y, millennial. Right. Like, if you look at it from a age perspective, we qualify as millennials per se. We can also be Gen Y. Right. But I think one of the defining characteristics of millennials that we definitely don't fit is that they don't remember life before the internet. And I have a I I super that. distinct memory of life before the internet. Yeah, same now, I, I, I also have about as clear of a memory of like the early days of the internet. I mean, like my, my first interactions with AOL. I was trying to think I if I could make that dial-up noise. Yeah. Learning. So my my house at my um my my room in my house was directly above my dad's office. Right. And so he could hear when that noise was happening in my room. And so after about 10 o'clock, I wasn't allowed to be on the internet. Learning from a friend that you could turn that noise off changed my life. And like legitimately changed the amount of <laughs> access that I had to the world. And remember, if you had one phone line, you had to use that phone line to get yep. the internet. So if you like your mom want to make a call, she'd pick up the phone and she would hear that noise, yell at you to get off the internet. Eventually, it would come to like, we're getting a second phone line. See, I didn't Cell have that phones problem. Were, well, we did for a bit. Cause yeah. Like, dad's kind of a... <laughs> but then he had a cell, you know, like he had the early Zach Morris cell phone yep. for work and stuff. Yep. Like we're, we're talking those days. At my house, we had, I'm not kidding you. We had a house phone line. Mm -hmm. I had my own phone line. We had a God, dedicated internet Conversations line. with girls on that phone line. So one of the things that I'm fascinated Imagine. by in today's environment is that kids, there is no scenario now where there is a father gatekeeper in telephone communications. You don't have to call the house anymore and say, hey, is Megan there? Now, granted, I have a two-month-old son. And I'm so looking forward to like that age group. Oh, it'll be so so different than anything I know. you can ever wrap your head around. And we'll see if I end up with a daughter someday in that, but we'll see. I think by then we're gonna be like you remember Demolition Man where they had like the rings. I know that's weird. Yes. It's gonna be like that by then. I know. Like it's not gonna be like when Bad Boys when the do the no. guy comes to the door and they're no. like, yeah, not God, like that. that'd be so much fun. Did though. you hear the podcast with Elon on Joe Rogan? I didn't listen to it yet, dude. Definitely listen to it. Uh, the one thing that I got out of it more than anything else, two things. Mm -hmm. uh, a, I'm curious to know if Elon's South African dialect has an impact on the buy-in uh, that he gets from his ideas for this, this reason. When you listen to it, one of the things you'll hear is that he's very deliberate in answering questions. So you'll ask him, ask me any question right now. Are you going to the mall today? Yes. <laughs> There's There was that long of a delay and even longer in lots of his responses. But you could tell he was like thinking, but here's the thing. That was from Billy the, Madison. The South African dialect has this, this uh, component to it. And the only reason I have any context on this is I follow a couple YouTubers, mm -hmm. uh, Ben Brown and Nicole Eddy, if you're listening. Uh, I know you're not, but, but shout out, shout out anyway. Um, there's a an up tone to the way that they finish sentences. So when he says yes, instead of saying yes, he goes yes. Yeah. There's an up to it, and it sounds exciting. So when you go, hey man, do you want to go to the to the mall later? He'll go yes. And now all of a sudden, I want to go. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And it sounds exciting when he says it. The second thing was that it is. I've, have you ever heard the theorem like that? We're in the the Matrix style, yeah. Uh, the the simulation. It is very evident to me that he one hundred percent believes we're in the simulation. It it seemed to him mathematically impossible that we're not, just based on like time frames. So, I very much believe that. In the same way that like Neo feels he can bend the rules because he recognizes he's in the Matrix, I feel like Elon feels that way. I mean, if you're trying to be an innovator, if that's you don't the feel constrained, to, yeah. 
to the dire consequences because you feel it's well, it's just a computer program, so it can't go that bad. Like I, I, I mean, feel like that's how he thinks is that I'm I'm in the simulation, so I'm gonna see how far the rules will allow me to go. I feel like he thinks that way versus I better follow these rules. I'm quiet because I wish I was like that more. Yeah. Seriously. It's it's one of the things that I'm always conscious of when I'm outside is so <laughs> full disclosure. Um, Sarah and I took this great epic trip to Yosemite National Park and we learned when we went on that trip that I, I got to make a video about like the recap of that right. whole experience. But one of the things that we figured out is that we did a very poor job understanding what the wilderness area means and to Yosemite's credit, I'm sure they're understaffed and underfunded and they don't have the resources to make this right. But basically all the maps on their website do a terrible job. Yeah, I've heard you say that a lot. Terrible a job. Podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's right. Kind of like so. One of the things that like we didn't realize is where realistically we were allowed to camp, and so we were walking I would that think the line. Same thing. Like, yeah. is this all fair game or? Yeah. yeah, and we were walking the line of when we were thinking through like, okay, what's our plan B? The penalty for camping where you're not supposed to camp is you can get kicked out of that park for up to a year or more. And Sarah and I were sitting there going, well, we're not going to come back here for at least a year. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, so, you know, but obviously at the same time, you also have to be thinking about like, well, yeah, but if we do this, then everybody does that. And if right. everybody does it, then wrecks the park. And if we wrecks the park, it would be the worst thing ever. So there's always that like line of, I've always been a little too polite in life and a little too not just walk through the rope and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, so, and I've seen some of the benefit of just like, being a little bit more brave sometimes yeah i do the same thing i kind of balance that section of like no we got to follow the rules and fuck the rules we can swear right yeah of course great yeah i'm this I mean, is I'm not a clean to, podcast to every episode i yeah. don't understand why i don't remember this is that. not a clean podcast yeah and then it's weird like there's no rhyme or reason to it when i do it and then like kelsey be like why do you care she's the it's like whenever i feel like we should follow the rules she's like fuck that and i'm like no yeah praise for some comedy and other things at times uh Side note, I had a buddy that I went to school night school with here when I finished my degree who his first marriage Yeah, I know. He uh, wrong with that. his wife let him go on a solo bachelor trip and he went which national park goes into Utah? Zion? Yes. Yeah. And he went for like five days and he spent I think four days no, he went for a week. He spent okay. like four days in Zion by himself. I think he said he entered, he got like a locator, like a GPS yeah, locator spot, or something. Yeah. Yep. And they, they, you know, hey, I'm going here, here, here. I plan on being three days and yeah. coming back around this time. And went, took a camera with him, had some great shots, just camped out, chilled out, and then spent a couple of days at the Salt Flats and had, like, I was like, man. He's like, yeah, she let me go on my own. Because there's some risks to that, obviously. Oh, for sure, for sure. But that was a – I was like, I want to do that. So I went on – I've been on – you know, one of the things that I was talking to Sarah about recently was that um, I, I – I have a ton of friends, like a really widespread net of friends, but I've not been invited to a ton of weddings mm. because my my friends are exactly that. They're very wide and thin right. spread, but I don't know that I'm like deep enough with any was, one group. Yeah, I, you know, I don't have like a core group of friends that I always hang out with other than like these three or four guys that all live outside of St. Louis now. Right. So I've only been to a few bachelor parties and most of them have been outdoor focused. And so Friday I'm actually leaving on one. Uh, my buddy Neil's getting married out in Colorado. He met this great girl and Neil's actually the dude that was on the first podcast. Uh, right. No, not the first second podcast. Yeah. Uh, my longest friend and um, his girlfriend was actually his wife, fiance coming to be wife uh, was sitting right here where I'm sitting when we did the podcast over there. Uh, she's great. And um, Neil's bachelor party is going to be a float trip in southern Missouri. And so there's really like there's no worry. You know what I mean? It's just like it's a bunch of dudes just going to go out right. and have some fun. And it's going to be great. Uh, the thing that's going to be interesting is I've gone on f several float trips, but it's pretty much been with the same group of dudes. So I have no idea how this group oh, floats. Now, I will say this. Most of the dudes used to be on or are still on a softball team that I used to be on. So I know a lot of the guys. 
but only in the context of softball. But float trips can go so many ways. So many ways. From equipment, from where you sleep, to how you sleep, to how late you stay up, to how drunk people get... There's so yeah, many like everybody factors. could everybody how could, you cook food right. There could be like we're drinking, we're partying, we're hanging out, but we're not we're not trying to go crazy and flip this yeah. thing. We don't want to be hauling somebody around. We yeah. want to have somebody lose their clothes and everything else. Yeah, or it could be five guys like that, and everybody else got to take care of them. And yeah, so I have the a whole other aspect to the river. Yeah, the other I, people. Oh yeah, I have a guys float trip that this is the first year we haven't done it. In yeah, many, I remember many this. years. We've right about this. Yeah, and. uh it's to me it's like the perfect balance of there's going to be a point throughout the first day where pretty much everybody's pretty drunk right but there's not a guy in the group that's an asshole when he's drunk perfect every one of them is just like a fun dude right yeah. it's you me bradford it's it's the normal kind of idiots um but there's also like one of the guys in the group um, who I'll just call Joe. Uh, it's not his name, but we'll call him that. A couple of years ago, fell asleep sitting up, one man canoeing, and just like ended up drifting into a side creek and just disappeared on us, right? Like he was behind everybody. He's like sitting up in his canoe. Beer on his cooler, just like asleep in a in a side creek. Guys. <laughs> Guys, where'd you go? And, and, you know, we're sitting at this, like, kind of pull-off, you know, for, like, an hour. And finally, someone goes, like, hey, has anybody seen a dude by himself? And they're like, oh, yeah, he's, like, up against a bush, like, about a half a mile back. (laughs) And then eventually, you know, Joe or whatever his name was would come floating by, and everything works out great. And a couple of years, like, a dude tripped into the fire one year i fell out of my chair backwards my hand fell in the fire like some dumb shit has happened but it's never been malicious it's never been aggressive there's never been like mixing of big groups and so then last year this is where it got different we kind of had some new dudes in the group oh man all still friends from the same high school crew but but just new to the to the float and for some reason, somebody this year decided to bring one gross, for those of you that don't know, 144, 12 times 12, of bottle rockets. So we're on the side of the river in southern Missouri, down on the current, and we just pull over on the side. We don't go to a campsite or anything. We just find a gravel bar, and we find a fire ring, and we just go. And I go to bed about 11, 30, 12 o'clock every night. Every every you know time that we do this trip, and then most people peter out between twelve and one o'clock. I would think so. It's a long right? day. Man. It's a long day. We're on the river at yeah. nine in the morning. Everybody's drinking the whole day, swimming. Sunny. It's fun. You're hiking around off the the banks. So I get in my hammock. Most of the dudes are doing tents or just falling asleep on the side of the you know bank within like a little cot or something. And all of a sudden, I just hear, and I'm like, okay. And then it's about 30 seconds. And then it just all came? No. That was the horrible part. They did one about every 45 seconds for like an hour. Jeez. So every single time it goes up, you're thinking, is this the last one? Please, God, be the last one. If it's not the last one, I'm going to go absolutely insane. And then another one would go... (laughs) And it would just... But you didn't want to be the guy to be like... Oh, there was plenty of guys screaming from okay, their and tents. They just didn't care. And, and the dudes on the bank that were lighting them off were screaming back at them. And there was this war that was developing. A couple guys almost got in a fight. It was the most aggressive it's ever gotten by far. And I was telling guys this year, I was like, I'll plan it. I'll put the whole thing together. I'll reserve the canoes. I'll do whatever we need to do. But nobody's bringing bottle rockets. Just let it go. Like, we don't need... So, the next day, we wake up. Everybody packs up their stuff. We get in our canoes. We go literally 100 yards around a bend. And there are two 50-year-old couples in two tents that had been camped 100 yards away from us. all that. The whole night. <laughs> and probably went out there for a quiet, peaceful right. night on the river. And just had their whole weekend ruined. By these yahoos. And I felt so... Now, granted, that's the risk you run camping in public lands. That's just the deal that it is. But 
it was one of those things where it was just like it re- I felt really bad for them. My first flow trip cuz I didn't know what one was until I finally went on one when I actually lived here for about 4 years I think okay. when I finally did was my first like uh introduction to Missouri. Uh, not Missouri. Southern Missouri. Oh yeah. Yeah. So It's a whole different part of the it state. It was a very interesting experience. That's I, all I can say. I so we're going on this bachelor party and my buddy Neil sent me the kind of itinerary for the weekend. And he sent me a link to the floating company. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've always wondered about, and one of the things that I've, I've been curious about, we were talking about the adventure tour thing, which I want to kind of get back to that here in a yeah. second, because I want to pick your brain on this podcast. I'm going to reveal some future plans here. Um, but one of the things that I find really interesting, I went to the website for this particular company, and I won't call them out too badly here, but... Um, the front page of their website says, because we're outside most of the day, we don't like email. We would prefer that you call and talk to us on the phone. Okay. And I was like, oh, you idiots. And then I was sitting there thinking, but who's going to be your competition? Because you know what? There's three families that have right. been running the floats on the southern part of Missouri Rivers for the last 40, 50 years. Nobody's going into that industry. It's not like someone from St. Louis with a savvy marketing edge right. is floating down there. And I'm not saying that those people do a bad job. They do a great job doing floats. I've always had a great experience when we go down there. They're nice people. And I'm sure they're getting all the business they need. So the the need to like renovate that but. The fact that we still go down there and fill out all these paper forms and do our liability waivers and the fact that they don't realize that all of that stuff could just be done for them and they could literally have an iPad and someone could show up and go, we're the EADS group and they could go, great, click, checked in, all your waivers, you got eight people, yep, yep, you got eight waivers, good, see ya, you're in boats 14, 15, 16, like, done, you know what I mean, your bus is out there. And then the bus already knows, like, hey, you got these people, they've checked in. Like, Grant, there's an investment that it would take to build that but system. But once it's done. But once it's done, man, oh, man, does it simplify a lot of the work that you do. Granted, I would have, I've also been down there when, like, the Internet's gone out or the power's gone out. And if that's the only way you have, you'd be screwed. But Well, I'm sure that you can get Hotspot or SAD or something like that down there. Yeah, that's a valid point. That they would be profitable for them or yeah. worth it, yeah. But, it, man, you want to talk about a business that hasn't changed for 30 years. And it's probably not going to for another, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's there's no difference. Um, and, I mean, again, they do a good job servicing the actual product. You know, giving you canoes and beer and, and all the things that you need, they do a great job. Right. Um, but it's, it's amazing how difficult they make it. That's one of the things. So you and you and I have a background, obviously, in digital marketing. And one of the things that I'm always fascinated by as I've gotten into hammock camping uh, is it is a, like, you can go to REI, you can go to the Alpine Shop here in St. Louis, both great stores. You can go on Amazon and you can buy an Eno hammock, which is, funny enough, still what I use. Um, and it's kind of the commercial, normal hammock that everybody has. Once you start going beyond the Eno brand, you pretty much start going down this rabbit hole of cottage vendors uh, that make all this stuff kind of by hand in the back of their garage or they've got a small shop somewhere. And turnaround times are somewhat laughable, um, although... Is it worth it, though? Yeah, I mean, look, they make the best products in the world. There's okay. a company called Hammock Gear that I think makes the best tarps out there. Their quilts are incredible. I don't have experience with companies like Loco Libre or you know uh, Enlightened Equipment. I'm sure they make incredible stuff too, but it's you can't buy an underquilt for a hammock yeah. at REI. You have to buy it from these companies, but they are so far behind when it comes to the design and usability of their websites, the way that their menus and their carts work, the way that shipping happens, and if they simply used the Amazon checkout system of one-click swipe, you now have everything you need. 
right? Or find a way to use all of your customizable. Actually, like you said, they build the best product available, but yeah. it actually deters you from wanting to buy that product. Yeah, for sure. It makes you think it's not. For sure, for sure. And it's, you know, one of the other things that's really interesting is that there is no really central place to learn. Now, there's a great website called hammockforums.net, and yeah. that is kind of just, it's an old school forum website. So if you want to dig through all the threads, go for it. But there's also not like a central warehouse of all of the cottage brands saying like, here's the web, you know, kind of like the I-10 startup network here yeah. that we see in St. Louis. Um, having that for kind of the the camping industry because of all these cottage brands that are awesome. One of the, the pieces of advice that I always give people that want to get into backpacking is my first backpack that I bought in my adult life for backpacking is by a company called Gregory that a lot of people have heard of. They're awesome. Um, I bought it at REI. My Gregory backpack, which was 65 liters or 60 liters, 65 liters, uh, which is like a great size for a starter kind of backpacker. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the, the sweet spot of you can carry everything you'd need to and have enough room, but it's not so big that it's going to be enormous uh, or, or bulky. And that backpack was $375 and it weighed almost six pounds. The backpack I carry now was $212 and it weighs two pounds. And it's also 60 liters. It, it's difficult for people to get over the hump of like, I want to go try it on. I want to wear it first. Right. Um, to just trust buying something online. But if you know what you're doing in the cottage market, you can actually save a lot of money and get something that you're going to end up with in the first place after the fact. Uh, but knowing that it all exists before you kind of get into the space is difficult. And I mean, I I think no matter how much you research, no matter how much you try stuff, you're inevitably every backpacker that I've ever met ends up with a really heavy pack filled with a bunch of crap you don't need. Yeah, I love your and then they whittle like it back. Yeah, whittle it back. And I mean, it's 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 hilarious some of the stuff that I think about that you you what you do is you plan for well what if this happens i better need that right versus what can i get away with without dying <laughs> like start there and then build up versus what would i be a slightly uncomfortable with if i didn't have and then whittling it down from there like do i need two pairs of shorts and two pairs of pants or i can just get those pants that zip off and then exactly. you know, i can wash them in the freaking lake if I exactly. Yeah, exactly exactly most people bring way too much clothes right. most people bring way too many toiletry items um most people are dumb when planning their food uh stuff like that especially on a flow trip you're like i'm gonna take half my clothes off during the day and get drunk and put them on the next morning oh when they're, when they're half dry and, yeah. I don't, and i don't care until i get to my car when i can have everything i need there yeah i mean on this float trip i will probably bring one extra pair of shorts and one extra t-shirt right because i'll put those on when i get to camp so that i'm dry exactly and hang then, up the other stuff yeah hang up the other stuff and if it's dry the next day i'll put that stuff back on and if it's not i'll wear the stuff that i'm wearing from the night before and off and running you go right so, you know, it's, it's, uh, the, the float trip thing is a whole nother animal because a, I don't know this river at all. So I don't know whether it's deep or shallow. I don't know whether there's lots of rapids or not. Um, I don't even know where we're putting in and where we're taking out. I yeah. probably need to figure that out. Um, but then the other thing is, is like, I don't know if any of these yahoos that I'm going with, which are all good guys, like. They all seem like they've been on float trips before, but I also don't know how many of them are showing up with like a sleeping bag wrapped in a trash bag Whoa, wrapped yeah. in duct tape and how many of them have dry bags and how many of them are kind of somewhere in the middle. And I don't have a plan as to who I'm floating with. I don't, you know. Do you guys do rafts or canoes? So I'm or? a big, I'm, I've always done canoes. Yeah. That's my biggest fan. I hate the rafts. The, the yeah, my first one we did that. We've always done the current and river, canoes. and the yeah. rafts in the current suck. Right. There's too many shallow spots, and to me, there's no, like, again, we we drink, and everybody will end up getting drunk at some point, but it's not like, let's get so drunk that we pass out and just lay in the raft all day, which is what I see. Right. Every group that's in a raft is passed out drunk, asleep, versus navigating the river on a canoe. And then I also did uh, a kayak uh, last year on the same section with a friend of mine, yeah. and that was miserable. So actually, uh, a few years ago, a buddy of mine and I, we have another mutual friend, 
and we had been like, man, we need to start getting outdoors more and doing stuff more. We're working too much yeah. and wanted to get back into fishing and that more. And he was like, oh, I go kayak fishing all the time. So we bought some kayaks. Nice. And we, we've used them about three, four times now. We try to do um, like a yearly overnight camp, and we've done it two years in a row. We didn't make it this year. Um, but, yeah, it's great, but the first year we were packing on as much as we could on yeah. those things. And it wasn't enough room. Actually, take that back. It's enough room for all your bare essentials, but the beer is hard to get on there. Yeah. So this past year when we went, we had rigged it up to where I found these – like cheap, uh, like Disney kitty, uh, like what do you call it? Like you, like tubes, like a boat. Yeah. Like a, and I got two of those, and I got a these, boat. and we tied those up behind. Yeah. And, and put, I, I had a, my Yeti, and I put it on there and towed that thing. So behind what it. size? What kind of Yeti do you have, or uh, do you have multiple? I've got. I've just got the Hopper Thirty, right? Yeah, the Hopper Thirty. I so think. the Hopper is the, the zip top yeah, one. The zip top. Oh, one. nice. You have one of those. Yeah. And you like it? Totally worth it. I, I actually want to get now they have like a smaller 18 or 12 pack one. Yeah. It's al- almost like a fly fishing bag. You yeah. Know? I want to get one. I'd love to invest in one of those. Yeah. I, I looked at, so I have, I got my first one. Uh, I have a, a friend that I'm taking some photos for that essentially traded me right. photos of a premium house and videos for, uh, for a Yeti. And uh, we took it on a trip that we went on. And I basically just said after the fact, like, Hey, I know you have multiple of these. Can I, make a deal with right. you for this thing so we have it and it's it was awesome i love it so we have the tundra 35 right which is like the nice perfect size for like two people for a couple days right uh it's good enough to hold 20 canned beers at the bottom and then like a layer with one of those baskets and, and those whatever. work even better they're great yeah uh, but i would really like to have like the 12 or the 18 pack can hopper one that you were talking about the zip top it's just really hard to justify like two hundred and fifty dollars for a well, zip top cooler. And so what it was is I've got the old model. And yep. I happened to find it. I needed to get a cooler. I mean, I, I hated spending money on something that I I wanted to buy something worth it. Yeah, yeah. And I happened to find it at Ace Hardware on sale, and I didn't know this at the time. It's because they changed the zipper on the top to nice. so where it's actually better now. Gotcha. But I got it for like 150 bucks. Oh, that's a Maybe deal Maybe 180 but it was yeah. selling for like 250 300 at that point. Yeah, that's time. a deal so, and a yeah. half. Um, it, it's one of the things that I'm, I'm conscious of is that there's, there is good outdoor gear on the used market. You yeah. just have to be really patient and just sit there and wait until the right item comes along and then be ready to go right when it does and it's funny we were talking about this storage and how it works and all that. i have a friend and uh he's mutual friends with some of the guys like bradford and bob and them yeah and they have it to where the guys there's like six of them the uncles the, and the cousins they go on a they're on like their 10th straight year of a float trip. nice and they go for a week that's yeah. a lot i know and he said they've got it down. They got three canoes. We got it. He's like, we got it down now. They get out a big tent. They catch fish. They fillet them. They yeah. cook them. They bring food too. He's like, we've got it down to where here's day one through two cooler. You've got three to four. Yep. You got five to six. We've got enough ice. They got it down to a system. He said, and they got the big Yeti coolers yep. out there, and they got it all worked out. Yep. Sounds I like mean, a great time. It's it's once you. I will say this. Like once you get the food part of it worked out. Right. The extra days isn't really that big of a thing no because i think Um, what they do is they get they essentially don't have a tent they have a big canopy yeah and they do that and you know do all the underworkings underneath so you're carrying less Mm -hmm. as opposed to we need six tents yeah which after you open them once make twice as much space they did the first time because half the time you don't put them back in right yeah that's that's been one of my my biggest reasons for going to hammocks and one of the big the big like lessons that i wish i could teach people early on is you really want to bring about half as much stuff as fits in your bag because it's never going to go back in the way that it does at home you're never going to have a concrete floor or a nice carpeted floor to fold up your tent so it's never going to get as small. It's going to be wet or it's going to have air in it or something's going to happen. Yeah, we switched to hammocks You're be tired. Too. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I've got one lying around somewhere. i got to find my bag here in my mess of a life I live in right now. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we switched, and it was, like you said, I mean, it's way better. The biggest thing for me has been, A, I, you know, Sarah and I have Murphy's Law 
written all over us. Oh. If we go to Colorado, it rains on us, and it's like the sunniest state in America, and every time we go, it just pours rain, it seems. Um, we had pretty good weather the last time we were out there, but but the, some important parts rained on us. And um, we were out there, and one of the things that it just you realize is that there's a distinct advantage in having a system where you put up your tarp first or can put up your tarp first versus you have to put up a tent and then put the rain fly on top. Yeah. Now, there are some tents that have the rain fly built in. Uh, there's a company out there that makes... Um, Z-Packs is a company. I'll show you some stuff before you leave, but uh, have you ever seen Cuban Fiber? No. This shit'll... I think I've heard you, you, talk, you talked bit. about it before, though. Yeah, maybe yeah. a little bit. So Cuban Fiber, I'm, I want to buy a, a Cuban Fiber tarp for my hammock. Yeah. They're about $350 for a tarp, uh, which is kind of bananas, but... For a 12-foot-long, 10-foot-wide tarp that has doors on all sides like mine does, my tarp weighs 23 ounces with all the rigging. The same exact size tarp that would be more waterproof than mine in Cuban fiber would weigh a little over 8 ounces. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but then start packing on everything else like we talked about before. I mean, it, It's 8 ounces. So this is what I was looking at the other day. It was the looking pounds at, when you add your cooking gear, your yeah, clothing, and everything I else. I was looking at tents, and a lot of the tents that I looked at, even small one-person backpacking tents, were in the 5 to 6 pound range. Yeah. The really lightweight ones were in the 3 to 4 pound range. So my hammock probably weighs about 22 ounces with the suspension. So that's a little over a pound, pound and a quarter. If I had an eight and a half, nine ounce tarp, you add that. Now you're at 32 ounces for my shelter. I'm at under two, I'm at two pounds for my entire shelter. And I'm going to sleep more comfortably and I'm going to be more waterproof than you. That's a pretty big savings when you're when you're dropping half the weight. Work smarter, not harder. That's what they tell yeah, you, right? Yeah, for man? sure. Yeah. Uh, and then I think there's also some advantages. Now, granted, I think you have to have both, right? I I have tents. Right. I have sleeping pads. I have sleeping bags. Options. Because, like for example, we're going on this float trip this weekend, and it is there's no guarantee that they're going to have good enough trees on the bank close enough that I'm going to want to sleep there. And it's there. not a weight issue, right? Yeah, yeah. no. So, I yeah. can throw it in the canoe. Right. I've got one big dry bag that I can throw my tent and my my hammock and my tarp in, so I have both. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my buddy Matt Crane that I keep trying to get on the podcast, hopefully he'll hear this peer pressure and come on now. Um, Matt was giving me some options to go camping out in Colorado, and one of them was this really cool boulder field. Mm-hmm. There's no trees in a boulder field, so you can't use a hammock out there. So there are absolutely reasons to have a good tent, you know, a, a good tent, and, and you know, understand how to use it. And there's some really good tents out there by this company like Z-Packs that makes this Cuban fiber tent called the Dualist or the Solo. That's um, what they would call a semi-freestanding tent, meaning that it uses your um, hiking poles as the poles versus like a, a fixed pole. Yeah. Um, but it is all one piece. So it's just one thing that is a combination of Cuban fiber and mesh that is built in a way that you don't really need a fly. And that would probably work in, in the rain. But the fact that I've been able to put up my tarp and then put everything up outside underneath the tarp has been a huge advantage. Uh, and then in the same thing, when we were in, um, Colorado the first time, when we packed up on the last day, it was literally pouring rain. So we packed every single thing up, including put all of our rain gear on, put our rain cover on our packs, and everything was rain covered underneath our last tarp. And then all I had to do was roll that tarp up and I put it in the outside pocket of my bag. Whereas if you've got a tent and you're trying to pack up a tent body while it's raining, good luck with that. Have fun. Uh, so that's been my biggest motivator in going to the hammock has is always been like rain prevention more than anything else. But I also think they're just a hell of a lot more comfortable. Uh, and in a number of circumstances where Sarah and I have been, we've had to camp in places that aren't level right. and don't have flat ground or don't have big wide open areas. So, you know, obviously you have to have trees and you have to have the right trees and the right distances. And sometimes you have to wander around a campsite a little bit further. Um, but it's given us a lot of versatility that I don't think a lot of tents provide. Right. So I, w- I would say that if I was probably doing like a major through hike, like uh, the Appalachian Trail or Pacific Crest Trail, 
then I don't think a hammock is really an option other than like during sections of it. Um, you're going to need a tent for a, a big chunk, especially like the PCT when you're out in the desert. You're just not going to have trees. Right. Uh, that's my biggest hesitation in going to Zion. We try to do a, a national park a year, and I don't really want to uh, not, around not go in a hammock. Yeah. So I'm I'm pushing more for like Banff and things like that. Oh, uh, we went to Banff in January. Yeah. Didn't you take your photos there or something? Uh, yes. And yeah. how was it? And it was amazing. And Insane. It, it's totally, it's one of the, I, I always say Canada's God's country. Yeah, it's it beautiful. seems like it. That's and like Banff is amazing, and yeah. I totally uh, suggest you guys go. And uh, shockingly to me and her and us, we were thinking it's a winter sports town, but their busy season is like uh, May through oh, September. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. And I have well, a friend that went a couple there? years before. We were there in January. Okay. So we went skiing. We stayed up on uh, Sunshine Mountain at the resort and then switched to – we spent a night at uh, Lake Louise and spent a night in Calgary because uh, I wanted to go to a hockey game. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's – I mean, they had, like, the ice show when we were in town. It's – I mean, Lake Louise is amazing. Yeah. So, you know, it's blue glacier water. So you guys and, weren't yeah. there in kind of the prime time. Was it easy or difficult to get in and out of the park? And, and It's not hard Combinations, things like that. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Because that was one of the big things, like, when – For example, I – we were when I rented the car, I was like, I got to have an SUV, a four wheel drive. Yeah. That. And then they gave me like an F-150 and I'd never I'd never needed to turn really? it on. Yeah. Just even when it snowed, it was fine. fine. Yeah. So they do a good job maintaining yeah. all the roads yeah, exactly. and things like that. Yeah. So you're good. Because that was one of the things like last time we were in Colorado, we went back to Rocky Mountain National Park mm-hmm. and we went later on in the morning. We'd go on the first year and we were in the park by probably 8 a.m. Second year, we were there by 11 and the part of the park we wanted to go to was completely shut off. Yeah. I mean. So one of the things that we were going to do that I was real disappointed didn't happen was we were going to go sled dogging. Oh, no joke? Yes. And it was, they called that morning. They're like, it's too icy. We can't get up to the trail. Yeah. Because they had, it was a couple miles in or something yeah. like that. So yeah, I was really disappointed about that. And then they called like later in the day. And at that point we were already driving up to Lake Louise and it was like too late. Can you imagine Brody at the front of a sled dog team? Brody, uh, back in his day, maybe. Yeah. He was the a crotchety little, man. He's, he'd be like the he, he's he's old man Rufus. Yeah. How's he doing these days? So uh, we have a hundred pound Great Pyrenees Winston with us these days. Interesting. Uh, uh, one of Kelsey's dogs, and um, he tore Brody's ACL. So Brody is like hopping around. Oh, poor but his guy. personality has not changed one bit. Same exact. Same dude. exact dude. Hilarious. So now does he still ride behind the seat in your Jeep? Yes. Same same spot on the floorboard. Yep. I just have, I just have to pick him up and put him in there now. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So, now, how do you like your Jeep? I love it. I can't wait till I can do what I want to do with it. It's just lift it and or a Rhino liner it. How out big and, do you want to go? Uh, just thirty threes, probably maybe. Okay, like thirty ones. How big would the like lift that. be to do that? I think it's a three inch lift. Okay, yeah. that's reasonable. Yeah, yeah. That's so. you know, it's it's one of the things that I'm looking at. I was really heavy into that that boxy Jeep Cherokee style yeah. for a while. I'm leaning uh, towards Xterras right now. I really like. Yeah. Some Xterras. Uh, and I like the way they drive. I sent you that picture of that like 70s Land Cruiser. Oh, and it's yeah. right around the corner from me. And now I'm like, oh, I want to do mine and get one of those, you know? Yeah. A little more space. The, the only thing that I think about with that, and it would work great in Michigan, but in a place like St. Louis, the air conditioning on that yeah. is to quote Jeremy Clarkson, yeah. uh, is like an asthmatic coughing at you through a straw. Yeah, uh, which in St. Louis just flat out wouldn't work. Um, now, a place like Michigan or a place like Pacific Northwest that Sarah and I are talking about, absolutely. So, speaking of that, I want to run an idea past you uh, while we're here because this is kind of how I want to close this out. So. One of the things that I've been thinking about over the last several years is, is do I want to kind of continue down this marketing road and, and do that long term? We talked about the adventure tour right. and content and all these kinds of things. So one of the thought processes that I have is that I think there is a the, the, the statistics back me up on this, but I think there's been a really big resurgence in the camper trailer um, hobbyist kind of environment world. Yeah, actually, uh, a lot of people I know in Michigan, my sister being one of them, they bought one and every like every weekend in the summer. Yeah, yeah. So, A, I think that with my background in being able to get a message out to the public and be able to build a community and throw events and things like that, I feel like that there's a space for 
I, I feel like one of the things that would make me enjoy my life the most would have be to have a core group of three or four people that I really like to hang out with come either I go see them every day or they come hang out with me every day and we work on stuff together, right? That's been the core of what I've loved about every job that I've ever done. And so I started to think about, I always have gotten a lot of enjoyment out of building stuff, out of making things, out of working with my hands. I just haven't per se always had the vehicle to do it and I've always felt like marketing's got to be my career. So I was thinking about, I have a lot of fascination with teardrop trailers or with kind of adventure style mm-hmm. trailers, small trailers with um, you know kind of a, an off-road style suspension. And I just found a trailer recently that, I, that has a system that I didn't even realize now that you can do axle-less suspensions on small trailers where there's basically just one wheel hub that you put on one side and one wheel that you put on the other side. They're joined with a beam, but there's no axle that's mm-hmm. spinning, right? Which I find really, really interesting and cool. Um, and at the end of the day, you're basically building a wooden box with some cabinetry, a little bit of electrical and plumbing, and then some weather sealing, right? And I was sitting there thinking, okay, so what separates the companies that do that, right? Innovation, quality, craftsmanship, stuff like that. But then I think there's also definitely a difference in what you do with the customers once you've actually sold them a trailer, right? Right. And I think that there's probably a gap in the market. Maybe I'm exposing myself here by talking about it online, but I don't think anybody's going to per se outdo me in it. Um would be to invite the customer to participate in the experience for a couple of days, right? We build the core structure. You come and do some of the finish work. You learn some skills. You spend a couple of days, and we make it an experience for you. You get up in the morning, and you have great coffee and a killer breakfast, and then you go, and we've got a cool workshop, and you get some apparel, and we make the trailer much more of an experience than it is just a product, right? And then every year you have an East Coast and a West Coast meetup where you have some live music and you rent out a campsite and you bring in a barbecue group to make food and you create a community out of the owners of the trailers. And I think you probably only have to do 30 or 50 trailers a year yeah, to make it be a fun thing where you're not having to kill yourself, but you get to essentially build the things that you get to do what you really want to in the long run anyway. So that's kind of my thought process is sometime in like the next five years is working towards building a trailer brand and starting to figure that out. My dad was a craftsman, you know, contractor for 35 years. Sarah's dad has a, a lot of background in working with his hands. So we were thinking, have them invite them up to where we're living and have them help design some of the early stuff. Show us how to work with some things, bring some guys in that we think would be a good fit. And then just have that be a part of the story, right? Like me starting from scratch, I don't have the pedigree to say like, you should buy from me. I know good quality. Right, right. But if I start to bring my dad into the story and we start to bring in his 30, 40 years of experience and Doug's 30, 40 years of experience... Now, all of a sudden, we have a story that's worth, you know, kind of talking about. Right. Uh, which is, I think, quite frankly, all you really need to get going. And then, quite frankly, you got to take care of people. Well, yeah, but, I mean, in this outdoor world, you're trying to create memories. That's yeah. why we do this. Yeah, we, for to, sure. To see things and do things. Like I said, my sister, they bought a camper a few years ago, and there's three kids, and that's what they do every weekend, and they're creating memories. Yeah. And, and like I told you before, I've... My dad was into cars, and I could be at three in the morning dropping an engine. I still remember dropping an engine in one of his cars with him, and that's one of the things I remember and we created. Yeah. So you're doing the same thing, and I think it's a great concept. Yeah, great and idea. There's, there was a, a, a dude when we were in Colorado at this campsite, and we had a tent and a pop-up canopy that was over the tent because our tent wasn't super water-sealed. Uh, and then we had some, like, blow-up mattresses. We were doing a kind of pretty comfortable car camping. And this guy pulled in with, like, a Tacoma with a camper shell, not like a... a truck bed camper yeah. but just a shell over the top of his his bed and he had like a mountain bike on top and a rooftop rock box and then he had like a yeti cooler on his tra- tailgate but then he had this really badass you could tell like off-road camper and i went down and asked him i was like hey man how long have you had that and he goes oh we're just renting it we're trying it out but it rained all night and that dude slept you know in a queen size bed with probably yeah. a comfortable mattress i think he was watching cartoons in the morning with yeah, his yeah, son yeah. who was there with and it was a, like about a 40 year old dude and his like six year old son and they were just having a blast and they had an awning off the side that had some lights under it they cooked a breakfast the next morning dude was making coffee 
and it was all like self-contained. Right. And I was just sitting there going, man, that guy wasn't worried about water coming into his tent last night. That guy wasn't worried about the temperature in his tent last night. That guy wasn't worried about anything. Yeah, you can only he get wet and cold time. and worry about those things from one point, and you're like, I want that. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I really enjoy, I'm really glad that it rained on us for four days in Colorado when we went the first time. The fact that we made it through it, the fact right. that we've we've survived the elements makes me more confident in taking on greater challenges. And when it does rain, I go, it's not going to be as bad as it was in Colorado, no. so we'll be fine. Um, so there's definitely something to that, but the fact that he got to choose whether he was going to be comfortable that night or not was pretty fantastic. Uh, and the idea of building a teardrop that's got a rooftop tent on it right. is pretty cool. Uh, there's some really cool teardrops out there, and I feel like you could build the experience for the customer and have it be something that was a lot more than just a trailer. Right. Um, now, granted, if somebody wants to buy a fully done, custom, you know, more power badass, to yeah, we'll be more than happy to take your money and allow you to do that. Right. Uh, but I think offering that option would be kind of cool. It kind of fits. I mean, in this day and age, where there's the we want everything now. Yeah. And there's the DIY. It, it fits more of the DIY, which is great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's fitting one of the realms of the world we live in today. Is there a, I mean, granted, I think it depends from product to product, but is there like a, a, a maximum allowable time that you would be cool with someone being like, you're going to wait this long for me to sell you something? And the reason I ask is there's a couple of, of brands in the hammock camping industry. One of them has a seven-week lead time on a hammock. So you give them full price. And then they hang out. And I asked that because yesterday or a couple of days ago, I was listening to a dude on Joe Rogan that makes uh, custom kitchen knives, like yeah. really nice chef's knife. His chef's knives cost $4,200, which I have no problem with him charging that. They're absolutely stunning. There's a wait list of three years. Like, I feel wow. like you would for forget him. about it by then. Well, yeah. And just, like, move on and go find some other guy that's got I, a really I, nice night. I think you got to be within 6 to 12 months. You know what yeah, I mean? That, yeah, I mean, like, if you're going to buy it one camping season, you don't want to say in three camping seasons we're going to have this camper. But if you're saying, hey, by next summer, whenever you, you fall, we're having yeah. this thing. Yeah. I'd be all right with that. Because there's a bunch of companies in this industry that have like two, three, four week leads. times. just because you're probably putting a deposit down on that still for three years, right? Oh, you know, I He's not just going to put your name on a list and say, hey, I'll let you know when I get to this thing. It wouldn't surprise me if you're paying full price. Right. I mean, when you're in that kind of realm, when you're in that kind of exclusivity, I don't think it's, you know. It's like a Ponzi scheme that actually pays out. It seems kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, now, granted, this dude's knives are. Yeah, I follow some of those guys Insane. on Instagram. Uh, do you know who um, Bob Keller? I think he's like the the granddaddy. He was the one that. Uh, did you ever see the one where Anthony Bourdain went and and no. got a chef's knife made by a guy? No, he was that. It guy. It was that guy. So this dude that was on Rogan's show was that guy's apprentice. Nice. So he like learned from the top dude in the world. And it's I'll show you after this. His knives are bananas. Um, so do you have plans to go on any other kind of trips focused on the outdoors or anything like Man. that on the horizon? Yeah, so we've got um, – so the way uh, Kelsey's schedule works is uh, she gets three weeks vacation a year. Mm -hmm. And with uh, us having Bennett, we have one between now and uh, next July. Gotcha. So February is when it's going to be. We don't know yet, but wintertime, so – you know, I want to go back to Colorado. I was sure. I have a good friend who lives in Boulder. I went there last summer. It was amazing. Boulder's great. I know. It's so 15 good. Fifteen minutes, ten minutes, you're up in the mountains doing yeah. a hike. I rode my, brought my road bike, took it for a ride. Yeah, it's great. So we'll see. And her brother lives in Denver now. Nice. So maybe something like that. Um those two are so close together, yeah. they might as well be the same town. It's I agree like basically with you. St. Louis and Chesterfield, practically. I want to get back to Canada. There's a lot of Canada I want to see. Yeah. But it's just about, I guess, not doing, with that limited time right now, it's about not doing the same thing twice and yeah. seeing something, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in a few years, like, I'm kind of looking forward to, you know, in 
a few years being like, I want to get a small, cheap fishing boat and I want to get away from this where I work seven days a week and like grab the kid and let's get out and for sure. kind of enjoy that. I always told Kelsey, like, you're working so much. It's my job to like make it easier to where you're not working. We know what we're doing and we're having a good time. Yeah, planning it. So now there is one place I want to get back to before my transition move from, uh, Canada to Michigan to St. Louis to Dallas. I spent a year in Marquette in the Upper Peninsula. Oh, cool. Mark, the Upper Peninsula is like, an, not enough people know about it. Okay. It's amazing. And Marquette itself is the big town. We're talking 25,000 people, but there's um, Pitchard Rocks National Lake Shore. Lake Superior is like glass. Oh, yeah. Clear. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, I lived on a street where downtown was go left and the beach was right at the end of the street oh that's cool and it's an all you know it's similar to it's all michigan it's you know it's snowed a foot a day but they never stopped moving it and you could drive around just fine oh that's cool and in the summer it was you'd go swimming and hiking and brody almost died on a waterfall <laughs> up there you know we were going hiking back then so it's like definitely check out the up it's amazing all right cool yeah there's one of the, some of the places that i've really wanted to go hiking are kind of up in that Minnesota, Michigan, yeah. Wisconsin range. There's a bunch of winter camps um, or or hangs or, or group campouts that are in that northern Michigan area, uh, northern Minnesota area. There's mm-hmm. one called the Frozen Butt Hang that's in like Ely, Minnesota, and it gets down to like negative 30, negative 40 at night, and everybody's in, in hammocks. Um, I'd like to do that. I'm not geared up for that yet right. at some point, but... Um, that kind of that whole Lake Superior hiking trail and the boundary waters and that whole area up in there seems like it'd be absolutely stunning in the summer. And there's an yeah, and there's another place. Um, it's Northern Lake Superior. It's I think it's actually talking on Canadian waters. It's called Isle Royal. Okay. And there's like one hotel and a bunch of cabins, and you're basically camping out the whole time. And you'll see there's there used to be a big uh, wolf population there. Now they're down to like five. Oh, okay. Just to travel across the ice. Sure. Uh, a lot of moose and things like that. And you're oh, basically cool. just out there in nature, man. We were supposed to go years ago. so It's one of the big things that we have not seen yet. We saw a moose, a little, mm-hmm. a, a, a young moose on our trip to Colorado this last time. But we haven't seen nearly as much you know, like big wildlife right. as I'd like to see some elk, moose, and bears and things and like that. And you'll see those in Banff if you so, go. In the, yeah. I have a friend that went like in September and yeah. they crossed some of those on their path. Yeah, like, I definitely want to so, do yeah. some of that stuff. So we'll see, man. Yeah, cool, man. Let's wrap this up, man. I appreciate it. This is fun. First do first iteration. Got, do we got to wrap it up? <laughs> no, don't have to. <laughs> no. Yeah. I got to take a piss, though. Yeah, so do I. <laughs>